Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft podcast. Great to have you back in the Sports Loft where we talk about the companies at the intersection of sports, entertainment and technology. Today we're going to talk to um, a fantastic guest from the world of venture capital. But first, just a quick reminder that if you like what you hear, please subscribe and like us wherever you get your podcasts. Go to our website, sportsloft.co and sign up for our newsletter. And also follow us on socials at Sportsloft HQ. So, without further ado, let's dive into the podcast. We are very privileged to have uh, Kiki Mills Johnson joining us today from Drive by DraftKings. Kiki is a partner with Drive, one of the preeminent funds in early to mid stage sports, entertainment, and technology venture capital. And we're really pleased to have her on board. Kiki, welcome to the Sportsloft podcast. Yanni, thank you so much. It's so cool to be here. Big fans of you guys. And it's a Friday, and that makes it even funner. Drive by DraftKings. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Obviously, it's early to mid-stage uh, venture capital. It's in sports, entertainment, technology. Uh, it's got the name DraftKings in it, which I know is one of the uh, early LPs. But tell us, what is it that you do? What is it that you look at? And give us a little bit of a flavor of your day-by-day. Um, so Drive by DraftKings, we're a multi-stage VC firm um, focused in sports tech and entertainment. We have a typical GPLP model. Uh, we launched our first fund, um, $60 million in 2021. Um, so we think of ourselves as a startup in and of, you know, as well. Um, and our mission is, you know, with, you know, we work together with our partners and our founders to advance the future of play and performance. Um, and we really focus on kind of three key investment themes, sports and gaming platforms, media fan engagement and human performance. And I know we'll get into that in some of the discussion. Our investments range from pre-seed to opportunistic series C, but we're really primarily seed focused. Um, check size is 250 to two and a half million. And, you know, we fundamentally just why we started this, you know, just we believe we offer, uh, you know, a unique perspective on the industry and have access to high profile investors across sports tech, including athletes, team owners, media properties, you know, industry visionaries. And, you know, we have a really unique founding story, too, and we can get into that, too. But just to answer your question, yeah, I'm a partner. I've been in there from the beginning. I do a lot of different things, just like in a startup. You wear five different hats. But um, I support overall strategy and building of the fund. I'm a part of the investment diligence and decision team, I'm making recommendations, also do a lot of sourcing myself. And the main thing I do is around also working with the portfolio um, and building out our platform. Awesome. Well, fantastic to have you on. Let's dive into some of that. Uh, and also, I really want to ask you about the the, the founding story um, eventually. One of the things that I've always been really impressed with uh, is, you know, we do quite a lot of these and quite often I wind up speaking to um, uh, to men and, you know, wind up uh, when, when, whenever we speak to Drive by DraftKings, we've spoken to Meredith, we speak to you. Obviously, it's a very it's a very big part of that, you know, women in venture capital, women in venture capital and sports as well, which is which is awesome. So definitely want to get into that bit. Yeah, totally. But let's save that for the fun, juicy bit at the end. On the front end, you talked about what you do. There's a heck of a lot that goes into it, right? And so what I'd really like to start to unpick is how do you position that unique view on the market? Where does that come from? And how do you see a differentiator for, for Drive? You know, we built Drive um, and, you know, with Meredith at the helm too. And I know you've had her on the show, so it's just fantastic. So you've already heard from her. But, um, you know, the important thing for us is to surround ourselves with 
great advisors, with thought leaders, with people who have industry perspective that we, you know, might not have ourselves. And so, you know, as we thought about the beginning of driving, this does get into a little bit of the founding stories, and I think it's important. So if you don't mind, I'll bring mm. it in now. Please but, do. Please. You know, it was you know, back in 2019, where we were founded by some leaders from DraftKings, Boston Sea Capital, General Catalyst, and Accomplice, all three VC firms all came together and said, how might we work together to support and invest in the next generation of sports and entertainment? Um, our founding partners are LPs in the fund and played a critical, you know, role in helping us to get off the ground. And, you know, that really kind of defines the spirit of this, which is very unique to VC firms, right? You don't normally see kind of four organizations coming into doing that. And I think that sets us apart in a couple of different ways. One, you know, there is this, you know, collaborative nature across multiple, multiple different types of organizations, number one, which speaks to how we like to present ourselves to the to the public, to founders, you know, to our fellow investing community. Um, two, you know, we've made a concerted effort to, as I mentioned, just surround ourselves with um, a lot of smart people. Even our LP base is very strategic with Lunge itself. Um, we've built out an all-star network, which are individuals, athletes, executives across media, tech, and sports who can be helpful to us and hopefully we're helpful to them around sharing their insight, um, giving us potential access, and and really helping us see things from all different sides. So, and you know, even though we're still in our early days, we're really focused on building out that kind of that muscle, continuing to build it out, that collaborative nature, because there are so many different sides that we need to see things from, right? And you know, we really try to pride ourselves to ensure that we've got some of the best and smartest people around us to help us do that. Awesome. And so you founded the fir- you founded the fund, that very difficult words to say, uh, in 2019. It hasn't exactly been the smoothest ride from an economic perspective uh, and sort of uh, environmental perspective over those few years. How has Drive been able to A, deal source throughout that period, and B, take that ride and help its investments, help its portfolio companies uh, kind of take the lumps that came with the pandemic and now the economic uncertainty for new governments in the last three months in the UK. It feels like, you know, it's <laughs> going all over the place. So I was um, listening to that this morning. Uh, the, the the Daily had this amazing podcast on this whole thing. So I'm like, I'm, so we could true. talk about, I know that's not the yeah. part of the podcast, but I really want to talk to you about that. <laughs> oh, well, well, we'll get there. So in, in that context, kind of how have you guys navigated the last four years, three of which, yep. you know, have been extremely unstable? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, you know, just to kind of history, you know, align here as well, we were launched in 2019. Um, you know, we really uh, raised the fund through COVID um, and then formally launched in 2021. So we had kind of our own startup journey in the beginning of kind of figuring out what we wanted to be and had a fairly loosely held thesis early on. So we took a little bit of time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, um, in, you know, we were investing in companies initially off our balance sheet through COVID. Um, we raised the fund through COVID. Um, and, you know, flash forward, what was so special is we did our annual, um, LP meeting in June and it was just this surreal and, you know, um, event because we met so many people for the first time in person and we had done all of it through that. Um, I, I think, 
you know, if we all think back to that point, particularly in sports, you know, it was, it just became crickets, right? I mean, sports died. Hmm. Um, And what was so interesting, and we can look back now and reflect is, you know, number one, I think we still saw great deal flow. And, you know, there was a lot of companies that went on pause, of course, but we were investing through, we realized they were on pause. But I think that's what's one of the amazing thing about founders. I mean, and they just, they figure out how to pivot, how to work around, how to work within it. Mm -hmm. And for us, you know, while we continue to see the flow, we saw some companies kind of pivot into something that actually was more COVID proof. And, you know, that was a really special moment. And like I said, you know, we didn't really slow down. What we did do and we relied on and why we've kind of built this collaborative platform around us is to to help with that deal sourcing and you know we leveraged a lot of the the people and the assets that we had in that way um, to help us around that in addition to our own our own inbound but you know having come out the other side you know i think it's just you know where startups are now it's just it's such a true testament to them and these mm-hmm. founders and how they're able to just see through blockades they see through like being able to over cross cross a mountain and figure out how to get it done and that's why we do this job right it's just Mm. it's so inspiring to speak every day to founders you know i'm fascinated by that because um like you mentioned when we had uh, meredith on we had her on together with uh ari day the founder of fivo that's right and it was one one of the things incredible right just like I mean, words words don't do justice. I just got goosebumps. He's like so cool. <laughs> so was Meredith. So like two of them together, like powerhouse. <laughs> I know it's incredible. But what was really awesome about it was that you know they were talking about how there was a real focus when the pandemic came around. And obviously, Fivo is a social cart. It helps to um, uh, sell tickets, right? And there were no tickets. Yeah. Um, but instead of kind of being cowed by that, Ari picked up the phone to all of his investors and said, "Listen, we're going to double down on product in order to accelerate the timeline." Of of what we were looking to achieve in terms of taking the technology out of sports and engaging with a much bigger audience yep. into e-commerce, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that was incredibly powerful to hear that, you know, the partners were there on board. So I'd love to hear an example from your experience of, you know, working with one of the portfolio companies during that period and kind of the, what came out of that? How did that process happen? Was it uh, organic together with the founder kind of speaking? Did some founders just come to you and say, listen, this is what we want to do with the money that we have because we can't do what we're going to do. How did those conversations go? Yeah. Yeah. So if I may just comment on just the story that, that you did, you just shared about Ari and what he did and how powerful it was, what I think it speaks to is the strength of the relationship and the trust that is built between founders and their investors, right? And even in a lot of the work we do with um, All Rays, and we might get into that at one point, but just kind of working with early stage female founders, we do so much around when you find an investor, it's 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 a marriage in some form, right? It's based on trust, it's based on mutual respect. And so when you have a great founder and you have the foundations of a great relationship with your investors, you can be an REI and you can go and you can say, this is what we're going to do. And the investors are like, I'm in because we Mm. believe in you and you show it. That, you know, when you have that, that's just, it's brilliant, right? As far as, you know, within, you know, within our portfolio, you know, I, there's a a few companies, you know, that really, um, you know, did some really interesting things where one of our companies, um, Dan Healy, um, pick up now fan power 
and had started out with, I mean, it's really an in, in interesting company around kind of activating fan engagement. And when COVID hit and he was really going after kind of Sports Illustrated publishers and some of the bigger publishers, COVID hit and realized like, okay, this might not, be, sports is not going, this might not be the right time, but let's think about other forms of publishers because part of my thesis is not just the big publishers, but the really small ones and the people that are writing blogs that are actually kind of in the local markets that are truly talking to the fans. And so literally went from this shift to small mini publishers and boom, just absolutely kind of built this huge base of which he's able to kind of continue to work on his product market fit and get a lot of feedback. And that's just that example of, all right, here's where we are. We have a little bit of a wall. Now let's figure out what we can do. And, you know, you really got to figure out, can we continue on this? Where do we double down? Mm. Or if we have to take a pause, then where do we step in to kind of continue to understand what we're building and what it's worth to the market and how we're differentiated and all that. And the founder story is so important, right? It's just so uh, key and core to the entire uh, investment package. Uh, you guys, and I, I love asking this of, of, of investors, you obviously have um, an investment thesis and it has to fit within a, a certain investment thesis. Do you ever come across somebody where it doesn't necessarily strict, strictly fall within that investment thesis, but you just go, man, we, we, we gotta go here. Like this, this has to be something that, that, that we go after because these guys are absolutely going to kill it. So, um, we're focused on three primary themes, um, sports and gaming, media fan engagement and human performance, um, in sports and gaming, you know, it, somewhat of the obvious, but you know, all gaming and wagering opportunities. So from casual video gaming to mobile gaming, gaming in the metaverse, um, Web3 gaming, um, you know, and all types of sports betting and iGaming. Um, on the media fan engagement side, we're focused on content creation and distribution platforms, um, event innovation. You know, we're looking at things including kind of ticketing, um, immersive tech. Um, and then also when you think about, you know, physical digital collectibles, just this merging of the physical and virtual realities to expand on sports and entertainment and that connection to the fan. Um, on the human performance side is optimization and recovery. Um, mental fitness is an area that we're very interested in and looking into, and also kind of tech solutions for the health and wellness segment. Um, you know, where we're not as inclined um, at this time, you know, is, you know, we're less inclined to invest in, you know, sports teams or leagues. Um, haven't necessarily found anything on the com consumer product side. We probably leaned out mm. of that um, a little bit. You know, everything changes obviously, and there could be there can be opportunistic things where you do. Um, you know, I would say to directly answer your question, not necessarily really yet, um, but we're also still we still have a lot of investments to make in our fund. I think that where you have a tie to sports. Um, or sports is a vertical that the that the company is is going into. There might be adjacencies that they're going into. Like you know, we've done some where sports is kind of the go to market, and then there's expansive opportunity outside of that. Mm. And then we've done some that are just very much within the sports world. But I think you know, depending upon that founder and what they're doing, we're we're obviously going to look at that because you know we all know this. We all say it. It's like you're investing in the team, particularly in the early stage. What makes a great founder in your eyes when somebody walks in and you're just like, oh, wow. You know, I've spent most of my career working with early stage founders and um, accelerated programs and things, but um, so they're just my heroes on so many levels. Um, great vision, but knows how to execute, can get into the weeds as well as, you know, understand kind of that, that big picture, a great why, mm -hmm. you know, 
you know, is thinking is, is really trying to solve a real problem. Um, just tenacity, agility, just Teflon, um, you know, and just, just a Teflon personality. We're just like, whether it's a good comment or a bad comment, and more importantly, when it's might be something that's more negative versus positive, you're like, good data point. Okay. You know what? Because every data point is an important data point, Hmm. you know, just they'll, they'll walk through walls and they just have a passion that's really, you know, tenacious, you know, a thing that resonates the most for me and they all do. But when you're talking to a founder and just, just that, that rabid curiosity and, you know, it's like that whole saying, like we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? And they're there, there to listen and to understand and to take that and process it, good and bad, because I'm applying it to like where the product's going. That's what I think is awesome. Kiki, I'm going to go slightly off piece here uh, and ask you a different question um, because I'm fascinated about what you just said. You know, you've you've been your whole career. You've been working in this. You've you, you're fascinated by founders. You love them. You love what makes them tick. You put yourself in those shoes a few years back when, you know, you launched Drive. How much of that experience of dealing with founders did you kind of, were you able to take? And how much of the great attributes that you see in them did you kind of see in yourself? Anything that surprised you in the process? Yeah, no, I just, I'm so happy you asked this question because it's just, you get so reflective on your, your journeys and for me, it was just like such an honor to be like, holy cow, like now I'm stepping into the shoes of the shoes that I've been kind of around, but kind of wore, but not really. Um, you know, I, I think a couple of things, I brought so many lessons in first and foremost is just, you're starting with this loose thesis, right? And that's okay. Mm. That's the thing. It's like this kind of first understanding of being in messy. It's not a bad thing, mm. right? You got to start messy and then you start to kind of hone in and you have hypotheses and you start to test them and then you learn from it. And so just understanding that and being okay with that and saying data point. Okay, great. You know what, what we thought here, actually we've just disproven and fine, we're okay. And having that kind of strong opinion, loosely held kind of yet lesson number two of like, you can have a strong opinion on something, but if there's a point where you realize that it's actually what you thought might not be what the market wants or what's really going to work, you know, you're like, okay, let it go. Hmm. And I think that, that's really can be hard for people, right? Because I can imagine so around that. And there's just so much they're like, well, I don't want to look like I was wrong. But once you realize that that is the most beautiful thing around founders, they realize like, yep. Okay. Got it. Throw it away. Move on. Let's move forward. And then really listening Mm. and just asking questions. And like so much in the early days as we were getting going and we made a few investments and just, I went to some of our founders and I'm like, well, what do you think would be valuable to you? Like, how do you, can you help us help you? And, and thinking about it in a, in a collaborative way to say like, we're building this thing. If our customers founders, like let's ask our founders and we kind of know, but like, let's hear it from them. And just kind of maintaining that curiosity throughout and just talking to your customers. And then it's taking advantage of opportunities when things happen and just moving fast and just, you know, know that like every day is a different day Mm -hmm. and what you might think one day can change the next day and that's okay. And so, you know, I think even in my experience of running Mass Challenge Mm -hmm. and just, we worked with hundreds of different startups and just... I just found myself every day within drive of just like, oh yeah, I remember like what Tom did or just, you know, you're like, oh God, that's right. That's what that meant. So 
Um, that's what's cool. Um, and I feel like those principles apply to life, right? Too I mean, true. this could become yeah. a whole personal conversation, right? About like how we live our lives, but those principles apply to life on so many different mm. levels. Absolutely. Uh, just, I was fascinated by that. So thank you for taking us down that. Let's, let's oh, for go back one. to the, um, sort of macro environment and what it is. How yeah. has your uh, business been affected? And I mean that in terms of flow, in terms of the way that you look at opportunities and the way yep. that you execute on opportunities as well. Yep. I think on a, a flow perspective, it hasn't stopped. And, you know, I say that confidently just because I feel like in general, I mean, there's just so much opportunity around sports and entertainment and things. And yeah, there's noise, right? But, you know, from a flow perspective, like, I mean, we're busy. Um, we're a small firm, right? I mean, there's there's three of us that are really focused on, you know, Meredith, myself, and and John that mm -hmm. are really focused around all of it. So, you know, we're, there's we could be going twenty four seven if we really wanted to. But um, I don't I don't think our flow has been slowing down at mm -hmm. all. Um, I think the obvious of what we heard, you know, the the valuations and things have changed, um, and they've been corrected. You know, as far as kind of how fast we need to make decisions. I think when you kind of take out everything else, when you've got an excellent founder with an excellent business and, you know, that's checking all the boxes on great team, differentiated product, huge tailwinds, big market, like you got to hop on it, right? And you're going to move fast regardless. Like when you have it, it like it's there and you know it and you move. Um, and, and there will be that through good times and bad times. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on really trying to, on the diligence side, just you know, truly understanding, you know, all the core components of the business before we make a decision, um, you know, and to, you know, because we're a strategic source of capital, we really want to make sure that we can be helpful in a way that, you know, being able to leverage the, the platform and the things that we have around us to really accelerate that, um, our portfolio company. So that's really important to us. Um, but, Ultimately, you know, this is this has been a great time for us in sports, mm -hmm. um, and you know, especially when you think, and we might get into some theme stuff, but I think what's helped in, in our world too is just NFTs and Web three, and just offering all these new opportunities um, for consumers has really helped that growth, um, and just tech and AI and algorithms and all that. It's really helping in sports on so many different levels. So I, I think. You know, there's just a, a lot of rising tides that are lifting ships for us. Hmm, for sure. And and what kind of advice are you giving to your portfolio companies in terms of how to navigate these waters uh, and these more uncertain times? Yeah, you know, it's you know, vigilance to plan and and milestones are key. Hmm. Um, you know, stress test your revenue forecasts. Um, you know, have ample cash runway. Um, and, you know, and do that scenario planning for, you know, all different types of outcomes, you know, over the eight, you know, next 18 to 24 months, um, lean in with existing customers and, you know, tight metrics, you know, around customer acquisition and, and retention, especially if you're thinking about new markets, like where, where is the best, you know, path to go today? Um, mm -hmm. you know, think ahead, but just where do you need to double down? Um, and, you know, I think, we tell this to founders and, you know, the, the founders, they, they know this, right. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, 
everyone in our portfolio company that we talked about, it was great because we were all together at our annual meeting and they all know it. You know, they appreciate like, yep, got it. And they're the most nimble people around. What are you seeing as the real areas of growth and development within the sports and entertainment market and kind of how are you doubling down on those tech opportunities in order to be able to capitalize on the next uh, next shift? So let's so why don't we start with um, sports and gaming platforms? You know, I think you know we think about some of the key trends there. Gaming mm-hmm. just going mainstream, right? Just the evolution of video gaming or, over the last fifty years, and it's kind of hit this tipping point of mass market appeal. So there's a lot of opportunity within that. Um, you know, meeting in the metaverse. You know, we we hear it enough now, but you know, we're just seeing this movement from this kind of niched, more independent experience that we've kind of understood for games to like much more inclusive, community driven. I mean, my my son is eight years old. He plays Roblox and he's got his little gal pal next door and they sit on their iPads right next to yeah. one another doing their obby and, you know, talking to one another, but then they're talking in there. And so it's just this fascinating thing to watch of this youngest generation of how they're evolving in it. And it's really cool. And then and that that layers up to adults too. When you think about the things like Meta and others are doing of how we might connect as adults and all the different ways we might be able to engage in sports. There's a lot of hype there, of course, but there's there's some real nuggets in there that are going to evolve around that. You know, the legalization gamification of just sports betting and and you know so many states now that it continues to unfold. There's going to be so many different ways that we're going to be able to participate in sporting events, you know, and it's not just necessarily sports betting, but there's more social gaming and casual gaming and ways that we can actually have fun where I don't necessarily, I'm not a sports better. Um, I probably won't become one. I'll be more something more casual. There might be something I want to do with my friends and not get into the, to the real hard stuff, but there's a lot of opportunity for that. And there's some great startups around there that are doing that. And then finally, I'd say, you know, just mobile adoption, you know, there's just lower and lower entry points into mobile and cloud gaming, and it's just driving a lot more mainstream adoption. And so, you know, I can use my phone and play different fun games. And there's, there's more and more being built for that because this is now like our advice that's tethered to us. So I think there's, so a lot of interesting stuff within there that we're seeing. And then, you know, on the, on the web three gaming side in its early stages, but there's this sense of ownership and, you know, earning. And if I'm going to spend hours in a game, you know, allow me to be a part of that community and to own things is like I'm contributing to it. So this whole shift to, you know, really being a stakeholder in that game is a really crazy thing. I mean, I grew up playing very different games. So just the whole part of like governance and things that you can do within that, that's just fascinating to me. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. One question that immediately comes to mind is, do, do, do you have a geographical focus? Because, you know, when you start to talk about the legalization of, of sports betting, for example, is, is relatively recent in the U.S., but has been around in Europe and, you know, the rest of the world for, for quite some time um, under different restrictions. Yeah. The adoption of mobile uh, obviously points to a lot of opportunities potentially in developing countries uh, yeah. where things are really starting to ramp up. How do you look at um, the geographical spread of opportunities, uh, whether it's by a specific theme or whether it's by the underlying sport or any kind of um, metric? Um, We have currently, our primary focus now or in this fund has been um, North America, 
Um, and you know, we've also, we've, we have some portfolio companies in Israel. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's been where we have invested to date. Um, you know, as a new fund, you know, we're learning our way into, you know, investing in different areas. So when we found in our incredible, um, first coming invested in Israel, you know, you're, you're getting to know the ecosystem and understanding a lot around it. And so we've made a few more investments there, but, you know, we'll continue as particularly as we, uh, work towards, you know, thinking about our next fund, you know, does that geography expand? But, you know, right now that's where we've focused and where that was been, our, that was been our intent as well. So we've talked about the industry and the uh, and the market and the technology. Um, uh, I'd just like to take you back to kind of the valuation process and kind of where we are. Um, wh- what is what is that like from your perspective? How does it? Because obviously everything else everything else can be negotiated, but that's the big thing that, that gets that, that gets hit on all the time. How have you found the shift? Um, given, as you said, the macro indicators right now mean that uh, investors are in a far better position. Uh, but also, how do you how do you engage with a founder who really, really believes in their product and have that conversation around valuation uh, and come to something that's agreed? Yeah, you know, I say well, first and foremost, I think you know we're driven by our conviction in the in the team and the opportunity. But obviously, in this macro environment, valuation is definitely a consideration. Um, you know, when we talk to our founders and we're thinking about this, like founders need to consider not only this, the raise that they're in right now, but then how well they will be positioned for the next raise, which is likely in 18 to 24 months, given their traction. And the question, you know, you know, we ask them is just, let's talk about what we think the market will bear in terms of multiples and what milestones they're going to hopefully try to get to is no one ultimately wants a, a flat round or a down round. And so, you know, it's really about kind of saying, okay, where do we want to be? And then working backwards. And, you know, and if we think we can get to that, then Mm. let's have a conversation. But, you know, it's, but if we don't think, you know, if we don't think we can, then let's have another conversation about what if we're not. And let's think about the, the potential, what we, what you might have to do then. And valuations, we know it's an art and a science, you know, and I think the, the, the best found, they, they understand that, you know, value, obviously valuation is very important to them, but you know, the, you know, our founders are just like, I get it. It's important, but I'm trying to set my, I'm trying to set our company up for success and trying to set our company up for it to continue to go like this and not Mm -hmm. have to put that pressure on of a high valuation, having to justify it later. Let's be smart about it. And, you know, let's work this through. Have you ever gotten into a really emotional conversation with a founder around valuation? Um, I have not yet. So, uh, no, not yet. (laughs) Great. Well, awesome insight into the market. And I'm sure a lot of people are struggling with the same things that you are, but I want, I want to speak about something that's really close to your heart. Now we alluded to, um, to that earlier in the podcast, which is women in sports, women in tech, women in VC, and kind of combining all three of those together, which is, which is an incredible, um, uh, an incredible place. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of you, um, and as we mentioned earlier, you know, Drive by DraftKings has uh, has quite a unique position in that it's it's led by some extremely strong and capable women, which is great. But tell me a little bit about uh, about that, what it feels like, and and also about um, All Race, the organization that that you're part of, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I'm so glad I can talk about this a little bit, but. 
you know, we're growing, right? You know, the numbers are growing and it just, it takes, it takes a village to make that, you know, to make it all happen across tech, across VC, you know, and across sports. But All Raise, um, it's a national nonprofit on a mission to arm female founders and funders with more access, more guidance, more support, and more dollars to really accelerate their success. And I'm on the leadership team of the Boston chapter. Um, we're the, the largest of five chapters and growing. It started out in San Francisco um, a couple of years ago. And, you know, it, it's doing some really great work. Um, you know, ecosystem building has been the bulk of my professional career and it's a personal mission of mine. And, and it really just takes people coming together with, you know, shared interests and alignment around, you know, what we need to do. And, you know, they're doing some great work so far, and it's about educating female founders and helping them be smarter about how they're building their businesses and just giving them more of the ammunition. And the same thing on the funder side, because we all know women in VC, and you, you pointed it out, which I appreciate, the, the dollars that, you know, there's not a lot of women in VC, and there's not a lot of dollars under control of women. So the more we kind of just continue to push that, you know, we start to change and that's great. Mm. Uh, and so you talked a little bit about um, kind of what All Raise does to help founders, uh, especially female, yep. not especially female founders to help them kind of get into that. What do you think needs to happen on the sports tech VC side to get more women uh, involved and, and as you say, more dollars under the control of, of women? Yeah, you know, it... It comes to, you know, I believe all this just happens to have has to happen on a systemic level, right? First, we have to kind of acknowledge it, which it is. Um, two, we have to make conscious change to bring more women in to, you know, the funding. And as importantly, the a really important part, oh, but they kind of use the term in, at all race, just male allies, right? There mm. are you know, men are a very important part of this conversation and many of them want to be, you know, we just did a huge event, um, last week in Boston and it was a lot of funders and founders. And we invited a lot of men, male VCs who are huge supporters of it because they've got to be part of the conversation too. And it really, it's just, how do we get more people in positions? How do we, um, you know, then just shine a spotlight on them? And the more we talk about it and highlight it and people see that it's happening, that starts to normalize that there are and more and more people then kind of push into it. So it really, it does take a village, you know, that I know it's an overused saying, but, you know, it takes people wanting to do something. It takes, you know, people then, you know, being in that role and helping women to get in that role. And then it's shining a spotlight on it and supporting it. And same thing in women's sports. Absolutely. And I was, I was just going to get to that, both actually on the field um, and in the boardroom, right? Which is, yeah. which is a really interesting one. Um, do you feel that VC and finance in general is ahead of uh, the curve in terms of getting women involved and working with women at the highest level compared to um, the boardroom of sports entities? Or do you feel it's sort of all progressing a pace equally? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I honestly don't know how they rank. Hmm. Um, what I can say is that there's just very, it's conscious around um, making that happen. Um, you know, there hmm. are some great organizations out there that are trying to do things like this. One called Him For Her, 
which is getting you know female um, you know female executives of all sorts into boardrooms of kind of Series A on up companies, and there's other organizations like that too, you know. So there's conscious paths there. And then also just within the industry in general, you have some other great organizations, WISE, Women in Sports Tech, and others that are just about how do we help educate women on the opportunities within sports, and then how do we help them get a wedge in? And it starts sometimes with internships, it starts with just helping them find jobs, and then it goes up from there. But I think kind of everything along the way, it's happening. And you know, I think there's, a, there's enough critical mass and conversation that's happening that it will, it will start to push. It's just gonna take time right hmm. and and what's your view on women's sports as uh, a, an investment opportunity we've obviously seen you know wnba has been around for a while and we're starting to see some 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 creep on valuation there the nwsl has had some fantastic news recently in terms of the growth of franchise valuations which is which is great um shout out to a couple of founders that, that yeah. we both know there um and uh and you know we're seeing a lot of growth uh in europe totally. as well with uh, uh with the women's premier league with uh, a sold out champions league final that was really incredible so uh, what's your macro view about uh, but but just to just to kind of I don't right. want to put a dampener on it. You know, we've also seen some struggles with uh, with the W Series, unfortunately, um, announcing that it has to put itself on pause uh, because it didn't have enough funding to, to complete the season alongside Formula One. Um, wh- where do you see the macro view for uh, for women's yeah, sports going so forward? Yeah, it's, so it's, um, we are lucky that Just Women's Sports is one of our portfolio companies too, and we're proud to be alongside them. And, you know, Haley and her team, they're just awesome. But you know, and it's one of the thesis of why we chose to invest, you know, women's sports, for the most part, you know, save, you know, three things we're talking about, it it is on the rise at a macro level, you know, with viewership, with participation, and attendance, you know, all trending up. I mean, you know, talk to Julie Ehrman, you know, at Angel City, and I mean, they just had the most amazing first year, right? And so like a lot of positive momentum. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's, it's going to go up and down. But in, you know, in general, it's going up, you know, and but, you know, all of that, and it's just going to take time, it's just, it still has not, you know, it's starting to go mainstream, but it has yet to go really mainstream to your point around the W. And what does it need? It needs, you know, long-term investment. It needs consistent and comprehensive media coverage. And it's just going to be, you know, bit by bit. And if you talk to Haley about this, you know, she said, you know, one of the real reasons that, you know, one of the real issues facing women's sports is that, people don't treat women's sports like sports. And, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, isn't that nice type of thing. And, you know, the more that we mm. can just give it, I mean, and again, her thesis is around how do we create stories around these athletes, right? And how do we show who they are and what they're doing and how great they are and how great these teams are and just bring people along so you're introducing it to it. And as a result, again, it's just that rising tide thing. The more that you talk about it, the more the coverage and the more it becomes normalized and mainstream. But it's it's a haul. I mean, I think coverage is still stuck at what, like 4% today. So it's it's not a lot. You know, it's still probably the, you know, the same as, you know, 1999, 2000 around coverage, but it's starting. It's just, there's a lot of people need to be out there with a lot of bullhorns. Mm. Uh, just real quick before you go, the same question that I ask everybody just before we wrap up. What is it that you love most about this? And what is it that you dislike most about this? What do I love most about it? 
we are a learning organization. Um, and we like talking to founders, you learn so much, you know, just, just listening to founders and their insights and how they think about things. So, you know, I, I, I feel like it's a gift, frankly, to talk to founders and, and learn from them and, and see what they see, um, and see what I can't see or others can't see. Right. Mm. And that dogged belief. So, that just, you know, meeting inspiring people um, and learning about the industry um, is something I'm just truly grateful for. Um, you know, working with with Meredith and her team, which is a great people around us, it's just, you know, I'd, I'd say this is probably like it's 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 probably one of the best learning journeys I've had in in a while. And I'm, I'm just um it's amazing. Um, you know, I'd say it's also special with my son, eight years old, he's gen alpha and he's like into so much of the stuff that we're looking at investing in. So it kind of, some ways makes me a better mom. I'm like, Oh, we're watching YouTube. That's okay. Well, last year, let's watch that together because I need to know who that creator is. So it's actually on a personal Perfect target like, market. <laughs> I know it's like on a personal level, it sounds silly, but I'm like, it's really kind of cool that I can like see it through mm. my son's eyes. Um, you know, what's hard, um, you know, when a founder is going out to raise money, and, you know, when you take a step into institutional capital, you're taking a step into, there's challenges with that, right? And, and sometimes, you know, what the, you know, what VCs are optimizing for is their bosses are their LPs is sometimes not what the, the, the founders optimizing for. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's hard and it, and it can stink. Um, and you know, and it just takes, you know, and Hmm. I fundamentally believe if you've built a relationship of respect and trust and you have open lines of communication and you can, you know, work through that, you can ultimately get to the other side, but you know, that's hard, um, because they are at odds sometimes. And, and that's the part, you know, I think that just, you know, it can stink. Um, but I think there's ways around that. And again, it's just, it's finding the right companies and the right founders and building that right relationship. And, and that's just, that's human, right? And that just takes people that know how to communicate and they know how to mm. hear and understand and see both sides. Well, I know that you manage it with a human touch and emotion, which is very important in that kind of scenario. So all that remains for me to say is uh, to the listening public, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you liked what you heard again, please remember to like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go to our website, sportsloft.co, to sign up for our newsletter and follow us on socials at sportsloft.hq. A very, very big thank you to Kiki Mills-Johnston for having joined us. Kiki, thank you very much. Yanni, it's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved talking to you. And we will see you again very soon in the Sports Loft. Goodbye.